Hello, and welcome to another episode of Dr. J's American Passages. I'm Dr. J. Today, I'll be reading from Oscar Hiwelos' 1995 novel, Mr. Ives' Christmas. Somewhat unusually, the passage I've chosen is the beginning of the novel. Since the book's readers come to this with no background information whatsoever, no setting already in place, no characters already established, no preceding plot, I might just plunge right in, but I won't. The opening is captivating and beautiful, but it presents some challenges that a reader can respond to by reading more slowly, glancing back, reading twice, continuing forward, etc., which you aren't in position to do. So let me give some help ahead of time. Mr. Ives' Christmas is told from the perspective of the time it was written, the mid-1990s. Thus, when its opening line states, Years ago, in the 1950s, as a young man working for a Madison Avenue advertising agency, Ives always looked forward to the holiday season, we are looking back at 1950s Manhattan at Christmas time from the perspective of the 1990s, some 40 years later. We learn eventually that Ives was born in 1922, so in the 1950s he would have been in his 30s, and in the present he is in his early 70s. We learn that at the time of the scene I'm about to read, he is married and the father of a young son though neither fact is mentioned in these opening pages. We also learn that this son will be murdered at Christmas time in 1967, when the son is 17 years old. We are thus looking back at the book's central character, Mr. Ives, at a time before he suffers the great tragedy that will shadow much of his life, that shadows it still in the book's present, when Ives is in his 70s and still unable to come to terms with what Christmas now means to him, death and loss. I hope you're still with me. There is one more time factor present in these opening pages. This younger Mr. Ives, in his 30s, remember, has no idea of the coming tragedy of his life. As he goes into Catholic churches in Midtown Manhattan at Christmas time in the 1950s, he thinks back rather to even earlier Christmas services at a church in Brooklyn when he was a child. He remembers his father being moved by the Christmas service, and this memory moves him. His father is not his natural father, but rather an adoptive father. Ives had been left at a foundling home run by Catholic nuns at the age of three, with no record of who his natural mother or father were. We see Ives as a child at Christmas time, struggling with the complex feelings of joy and sorrow the infant Christ child brings him, just as we will see him in the second half of life struggling with complex feelings of joy and sorrow Christmas brings to an unhealed, grieving father. Hopefully, this brief introduction has given you the impression that Mr. Ives' Christmas takes Christmas seriously as a religious, spiritual event in the life of at least one American. 
It does, and that's why I've chosen it for this Christmas episode. That seriousness infuses what I'm about to read. Mr. Ives' Christmas by Oscar Uelos Page 1 Long Ago at Christmas Years ago, in the 1950s, as a young man working for a Madison Avenue advertising agency, Ives always looked forward to the holiday season and would head out during his lunch hours, visiting churches to think and meditate, and, if he was lucky, to hear the choirs as they practiced their hymns and sacred songs. Often enough, he walked along the burgeoning sidewalks crowded with shoppers and tourists and made his way to St. Patrick's Cathedral, where he'd become lost in a kind of euphoric longing, why he did not know. And in a moment, he would find himself as a child attending Mass with his adoptive family again, so many memories coming back to him of standing beside his father during the services and noticing, as he looked up at his father's kindly face, just how moved his father seemed to be by the prayers and the Latin incantations and the reverential chants, so moved especially during the raising of the host that he almost seemed on the verge of tears. Each time he entered a sanctuary, Ives himself nearly wept, especially at Christmas, when the image of one particular church on 7th Avenue in Brooklyn, whose choir was very good and the worshippers devout, came back to him, its interior smelling mightily of evergreen boughs, candle wax, and pots of red and white blossoms set against the columns. Dignified Irishmen, with greatly slicked heads of hair, dock workers for the most part, turned up in ties and jackets, their wives and children by their sides. And there were bootleggers and policemen and carpenters and street sweepers in attendance as well, and a blind man whom I've sometimes helped down the marble stairs, a few Negroes, as they were called in those days, all Ives was convinced, believing in the majesty of the child. The old Italian ladies, their heads wrapped in black scarves and their violet lips kissing their scapular medals and crucifixes and rosaries, kneeling, nearly weeping before the altar and the statues of Christ and his mother and at Christmas, the beginning of his story, sweetly invoked by the rustic and somehow ancient-looking creche. The fact was that Ives, uncertain of many things, could at that time of year sit rather effortlessly within the incense and candle-wax-scented confines of a church, like St. Patrick's, thinking about the images, ever-present and timeless, that seemed to speak especially to him not about the cheery wreaths, the boughs of pine branches, the decorative ivy and flowers set out here and there, but rather about the Christ child, whose meaning evoked for him a feeling for the beginning of things, a feeling that time and all its suffering had fallen away. Of course, while contemplating the idea of the baby Jesus, 
perhaps the most wanted child in the history of the world, Ives would feel a little sad, remembering that years ago someone had left him, an unwanted child, in a foundling home. To that day, to all the days into the future, there remained within Ives the shadowy memory of the dark-hauled building in which he lived for nearly two years, a place as cavernous and haunted as a cathedral. A kind of fantasy would overtake him, a glorious vision of angels and kings and shepherds worshipping a baby. Nothing could please him more. Nothing could leave him a feeling of deeper despair. Inflamed by the sacred music and soft chanting, his heart lifted out of his body and winged its way through the heavens of the church. Supernatural presences, invisible to the world, seemed thick in that place, as if between the image of Christ who was newly born and the image of the Christ who would die on the cross and resurrected return as the light of this world, there flowed a powerful, mystical energy, and his sense of that energy would leave Ives, his head momentarily empty of washing machine and automobile advertisements, convinced that, for all his shortcomings as a man, he once had a small, if imperfect, spiritual gift. That, long ago, at Christmas. When I was a child growing up in the 1950s, I, like many others then and since, was very much taken by the movie Miracle on 34th Street, set in the same 1950s Christmas time New York as this opening scene of Mr. Ives' Christmas. Though the differences between the two stories are my final interest, they have important things in common. Yes, Christmas and Miracle on 34th Street is essentially a secular holiday, with a miraculous Santa Claus giver of gifts as its central figure of belief, rather than the miraculous Christ child of this opening scene of Mr. Ives' Christmas. But both Miracle on 34th Street and Mr. Ives' Christmas have their roots in a child in need of a home. Mr. Ives, as an infant, is abandoned by his mother and perhaps father, too, to a foundling home. The child in Miracle on 34th Street is the daughter of divorced parents. Her request to Santa for a new home thus has an unstated, deeper meaning than simple materialism, which we feel at the end of the movie when she finds her home, even when we're too young to really understand it making it the perennial Christmas favorite that it is. The danger, though, of Miracle on 34th Street is that the imagery doesn't point toward any very profound mystery which should be at the heart of Christmas. There are no supernatural presences invisible to our world to be found in Miracle on 34th Street, but they are thickly present in Ives' childhood church lifting his heart out of his body and up to the heavens of the church. His life will have many challenges to come. His work promoting American materialism in the advertising business, the darkness that will fall on him with the murder of his child at Christmas time, 
It will take more than the U.S. post office or a for sale sign in front of a house to transform Mr. Ives' Christmas, something much deeper. Until next time, I'm Dr. J.